John chapter number 12 this morning. Once you find your place, go ahead and stand. We're going to be starting in verse number 20. John chapter 12, starting in verse number 20. I'm really kind of breaking up this passage into uh, two weeks. Um, this week and the next week kind of be, a, in, a, in a sense, a little mini-series within the greater series. Um, there's some things that I, I was going in a direction, but then as I continued my study over the past few days, I realized that I would have way too much material. So let's just break it down into two messages. I think that would be better. I'm sure many of you would appreciate that. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 20 of John chapter 12, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Now we need to understand the significance of what's going on here. Uh, Jesus has just made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is really days prior to him dying on the cross. So he knows what's about to happen. So again, I can't even imagine what was going through Jesus' mind, knowing exactly what's going to happen just a few days. So he's already entered into Jerusalem a couple months prior. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. And a lot of people had come to see this Jesus fellow because for the past three plus years, they had seen and heard many of his miracles. So there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast, the feast of the Passover. The same came therefore to Philip, which was at Bethsaida in Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Many wanted to see Jesus, under to, uh, to, to touch him, to, to be with him. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and Andrew, Philip, uh, and, and again Andrew, and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So again, he knew what was about to happen. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Again, it kind of, uh, when you read that passage, it doesn't really make, make, make sense on the surface, okay? In order to bear fruit, you have to die. It, it, it doesn't really correlate, at least to me, when I first read it, but we'll, we'll explain that here in a few minutes. Verse number 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Well, that's uh, very encouraging, isn't it, this morning? So if you came for an encouraging message, I'm sorry to say that you're probably not going to get one. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Remember, we're talking about identity. We all have an identity in this world and in the next world as well. And the thing that we're trying to establish within this series over the next several months is to understand that our identity should be tied first and foremost to Jesus Christ. And there's a, there's a contradiction between what the world's philosophy says and what God says, what His Word says. And it's very easy to get sucked into the world's philosophy of this is where our identity is. This is what we must do to, to have an identity, to have significance. And when you read God's Word, when you hear preaching and teaching from God's Word like this message, it's so contradictory, it's like, whoa, 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 I don't know if I can take that. Because in a sense, we've been so brainwashed by the world by the world's philosophy, by the world's standards. So what we're trying to do, especially at this church, is try to get back to authentic biblical Christianity. And when you preach things that are authentic biblical Christianity, people have a hard time understanding them because it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa that's, that's, that's not what, what's, what's real at all. That, that's not what the world says. Well, are we following the world's standards or are we following God's standards? And that's what we have to figure out in our lives. Which is more important? Which is more valuable? Because in the world standards, if we want success, if we want to flourish, if we want to thrive, as our theme suggests for the year, we have to do certain things based on performance and conditions, as we've talked about. But as we've said with those things, performance and conditions will change. They always do. Or are we going to base our standards upon what God and His Word says? So verse 25 again, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life 
in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this day. God, I pray that you'd help me in this uh, passage today, Lord, to, to decipher what we need to, to learn. And God, I pray that you'd um, help us all to just focus on you. Lord, I've been very burdened by this over the past uh, several days and past several weeks. Lord, even in my own life, there's some things that I know that I don't display authentic biblical Christianity because I've set my standards and preferences according to the world's standards and preferences instead of according to you and your standards. So God, I pray that you'd help me first and foremost to do what you've called me to do, to be who you've called me to be. And God, I pray that you'd help our church to realize that this is not trying to bash them. This is trying to help them and challenge them, all of us, because every single person in this room can be a better Christian and needs to be a better Christian. And Lord, the biggest thing I think many of us need to do is humble ourselves and realize that it's not about us. This life is meant for you and for your purposes, for your glory. Lord, we love you in Christ name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. In the past several weeks, again, we've been trying to introduce uh, this, this idea of thriving, understand we were made for more, and really we're trying to understand the who that God wants us to be. It's that who that completes us, the who that we were created for. And as we talked about the very first week in Psalm chapter 92, uh, the who that God wants us to be is a who that is fat and flourishing. Again, not in the sense of let's like really be really round and let's just continue to eat and eat and eat. That's not the fat. Fat and flourishing is talking about abounding, being the Christian that God has for us. And again, it's discovering what God says, what His Word says, and it's different than what the world says. We talked about also a couple weeks ago that many people in life, instead of thriving, they're surviving. Instead of just truly being who God wants them to be and going through life, and man, this, this life is great because I'm living for God, they're simply trying to, to hang on. And I know we all have moments where we're literally just trying to hang on through a sickness, through an illness, through a, uh, through a battle with cancer, through a job change, through whatever it is. But all those things are meant to be temporary. They're not to be, meant to be uh, lasting that, uh, a long time. You know, Jesus came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly, as he says in John chapter 10, verse 10. And then last week, you know, we talked about barrenness a little bit. And it's not necessarily talking in a physical sense of being barren and not being able to have children. But it's the, it's the picture that many people in this life are producing a fruitful or fruitfulness, fruit, 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 fruitless life. That's what I'm trying to say. My words are getting tied around. Fruitless life. That's not really producing anything. So you're wondering through life. I'm like, man, I, I'm struggling. I'm barren. There, there's nothing that's, that's going on in my life. And, and the thing that we talked about is, is a lot of times hurting people do what? They hurt people, right? And I, I was even thinking about this the past couple days. Uh, sometimes people that have been crushed in their life, you know what they do? They crush other people. To get to where they need to be. To get to where they want to be. And it happens everywhere. It happens in the secular world. It happens in the business world. It happens in the family. It happens in the home. It happens in the church. It happens with leaders and trustees and deacons and staff members. It happens because instead of elevating other people to be better than us, we try to make ourselves better than other people. And all of us are guilty of this. All of us are guilty at crushing other people. And that crushing experience, okay, you look great, but at the expense of what? Everyone else being stamped upon. 
And that's why I said early on in this message, we must all learn humility. That's one thing God has really been teaching me the past three plus years, specifically since I've been here at this church, is to learn humility. To learn it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. Because I had, in a sense, a philosophy in mind when I came here of, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I've got a vision. I still have a vision for for the future of what God wants me to do. But I learned quickly, very quickly, that, you know what? Sometimes God needs to humble us. And sometimes it needs to continuously happen to help us get to the place where we need to be. Because none of us have arrived. Not a single person in this room has arrived. No one is where you need to be. No one is at the pinnacle of your faith. It doesn't matter who you are and what you've done, even, even in ministry standards, it doesn't matter where you've, where you've arrived, where you've preached, what, what you've done. No person has arrived, and sometimes I think we must continuously be humble. We must learn humility because even our Savior, Jesus Christ, learned what it meant to, to humble himself, to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I mean, the, the very fact that he was willing to take upon himself the form of man That's a humbling experience when he is God, he is the supreme being, and I'm going to come to this earth, and I'm going to, in a sense, give up my lordship, give up part of who I am to be man, a lowly creature. That's a very humbling experience. And being willing to to serve others. You know, right now we're we're in the second wave of of our foundation classes, and many people are going to the 301, that serve class. And I've been thinking about this a lot and over the next couple of months, I'm actually going to be retweaking our, our foundation classes to, to make sure that we're going forward in the future with some things. But uh, the, thing, the thing that I've learned is even in service, it's not like here, here's, the, here's the mandate, here's what you need to do. Being a servant is someone that's willing to do those three things that I've talked about. And I think even Carrie mentioned them on Wednesday night. Wherever, whenever, whatever. Being able to have that wherever, whenever, whatever mentality. I'm willing... Let's go backwards. I'm willing to do whatever God has me to do, even if it's in an area that I don't want to serve. Even if it's in an area that I don't like. You know, again, there there are certain personalities that are very, very strong, and and they they like to be in front of the scenes, and and that's fine, and people need to be like that, and and, and we need to, to use people like that. But we also need to realize that sometimes I don't have to be in front of the scenes. And even as a pastor, I've had to learn that. Sometimes I need to be behind the scenes and I need to just be serving whether no one else sees it or not. I need to humble myself. I need to be willing to serve my master to do what he has called me to do. And again, it's completely opposite of what the world says. But we're trying to discover what it means to thrive. What it means to be who God wants us to be. You know, I don't watch the news a lot, and that's on purpose, because when I watch the news, I get very, very discouraged. Anybody else in here today? Yeah. get very discouraged by it. Some people watch it all the time, and it's like it's just adding more fuel to their fire. Like, ah, oh, I can't stand the world. Okay, well, I'm sorry. You can't stand the world. I can't stand the world either. But we live in it. And I purposely don't watch it. Now, I, I, I do follow what's going on. And, you know, it, it is sad, some of the things that have happened in our country lately, isn't it? Some of the laws that have been passed. And it breaks my heart. And it's easy for us to just go off on, on people and, and leaders, but you have to realize that the heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. This world needs Christ. They need to understand who Jesus is. And they're not going to understand who Jesus is if Christians aren't willing to humble themselves and serve and show them the love of Christ. 
And even this morning, I was thinking about it. The love of Christ and the love of others is showing that love to people that aren't even technically lovable. You know people like that? Anybody in this room that you see that is... No, don't, don't do that. Let's do that. not point fingers, all right? Because all of our fingers could be pointed at each other. You know, there, there's people sometimes in life that annoy us. Anybody get annoyed with people? I get annoyed with some people. Michael Sands raised, I don't know if he's the one that's annoyed or annoying. No, I'm just kidding. But we all get annoyed with people. But I, I thought about that, in, again, in my own life. Even this morning, the Lord was kind of putting it in my, in my heart and my mind as I was getting ready. You know, someone that truly is showing the love of Christ, even if someone is annoying, they're still going to go out of their way to serve them. I don't want to be around them. Well, then you're not showing the love of Christ. Because maybe their annoyingness is a cry that I need something. I need someone in my life. And how, do we, how are we going to get beyond that if we don't actually go out of our way to serve them? But you don't know this person. You don't know how they are. You're right, but you don't know how you are because you're very annoying too. Because all of us are. And again, it, it's a tragedy, going back to kind of our society, it's a tragedy when our society thinks it's okay to massacre a life of the unborn child. You know, we could talk about that all day, and that's not the message this morning. This is all like free stuff for you guys. So, okay. But the reality is that the culture in which we live is a culture without hope. I think I have this in your notes. You want to write it down? That's fine. If not, just pay attention. But a culture without hope is a culture without Christ. That's what it comes down to. A culture without hope is a culture without Christ. And the question that we're trying to ask, not just today, over the past several weeks, but over the next several weeks and several months as well, is where is our identity tied? Who or what defines you? In the Bible, when people came to Jesus Christ, when they gave their lives to Him to follow Him, there was no question as to where their allegiance was and who they were with. When they became a follower of Christ, they gave up everything to follow Him. Prominence, significance, fame, fortune, money, all of those things. Some of them were able to keep those things and nothing wrong with that. But they were willing to sacrifice everything. And we even know certain cultures today. If you become a Christian or certain religious groups, if you become a Christian, your family, boom, they cut you off. But these early Christians, they were willing to forsake all for Christ. And the problem with our modern day Christianity, our cultural Christianity, if you will, is that we're not willing to give up things for Christ. And again, I'm speaking as much to myself as anyone else in this room today. We're not willing to give up things for Christ. We want to add Christ to everything else instead of take things away and put Christ at the top. And the early disciples became known among unbelievers as people of the way. It talks about that in Acts chapter 19. Because they had chosen to walk a different path in life. They had identified themselves totally with Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. They lived for His kingdom their identity was tied to his kingdom. The great tragedy today is that we don't have enough Christians who know who they are. Am I part of God's kingdom or am I part of this world's kingdom? You know, there's a lot of titles that we have in life. There's a lot of badges that we wear in a sense, you know. Uh, well, one of my titles is a pastor. 
One of my titles is a husband, a father. The thing I've realized about some of the titles that we have in this world is that they can easily change, can they not? If circumstances change, if performance changes, if things happen, they, they, can, they can change. A lot of things that I am. Again, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, I'm an avid golfer. I'm a, I love this word, a connoisseur of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> My wife is a connoisseur of Taco Bell. Exactly, I know. See, helping you out today. Yeah, I'm a graduate of seminary. I have a master's degree. But all those things are secondary. They don't really define me. I have a lot of titles. I have a lot of badges. You know, we went to Idea Day this week, and they gave us all a name badge. And they spelled my name wrong. <laughs> I didn't find out until after the meeting. I just put it on, and then someone was like, I thought your name was Thorn. I was like, it is. Why does it say Throne? What? It ruined the whole meeting for me. The meeting was already done. I was like, man, I'm done. Let's, Michael, let's leave. <laughs> I was going to wear it today, but and you, never mind. But <clears throat> the thing is, all, this, all those things don't, don't define me. You know what defines me? The fact that I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was four years old. That's what defines me. And that's what, the, that's what sorry, should define you if you're a Christian. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, the fact that you're a Christian should not just be an add-on, it should be the eternal essence of who you are. You know, if you're talking to people and they're asking it, anybody ever been asked the question, who are you? Ever asked that? Yeah, many of us have. But if, you know, if, you're, if you're trying to explain yourself to someone or tell them a little about yourself and, and the name of Jesus Christ never is mentioned, then you're confused of who you are. Because your identity isn't focused and centered around Jesus Christ. As a, as a Christian, our identity must be centered solely around Jesus Christ because He's the only structure meant to last. The term Christian is not just a title, it's our identification. And as we come to this passage in John chapter 12, this is again a few months prior to, or a few months after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And early in this chapter, we see Jesus triumphantly riding into Jerusalem. Jesus knew what was coming. The crowd wanted to crown him as king. But little did they know that the shouts of Hosanna would soon turn to shouts of crucify him. Little did they know that the same crowd that was celebrating him as conqueror would soon crucify him as criminal. In the first few verses, they're, they're coming and they want to see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus, but Jesus kind of put it in perspective. And he's, what he's trying to say in verse 23 is, my time has not yet come. He's referring to his death, his burial, his resurrection. And what Jesus does over the next three verses specifically, 24 through 26, where we're going to focus on this morning, he paints a picture that's very telling and significant in understanding where our identity is. Because he's trying to help the disciples, his followers, understand this before he leaves and goes to heaven. You see, many of these people were cheering for Jesus, but they were also rooting for themselves. And that can't happen as a Christian. You can't be cheering for Jesus, but then rooting for yourself to 
to grow and flourish and, and thrive. The world says if you want to flourish, then you have to add. You have to win. Jesus says if you want to flourish, you have to subtract. You have to lose. Doesn't make sense, does it? According to what the world says. Tonight is the Super Bowl, the big game, as, as Michael was saying. There's going to be a team that loses. They are not the winner. But imagine if it was like, hey, you lose, so you win. No, that's not how it works. I know that's what our society is teaching. Hey, you lose, so here's a trophy for you. What? I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But Jesus is saying here, when you lose or when you're willing to lose the life that you hold valuable, in actuality, in reality, you win. Because that's what's going to produce fruit. That's what's going to make you abound. That's what's going to make you flourish. The world says this, love life, gain life. But Jesus says love life, lose life. The world says let go of life. You lose it all. But Jesus says let go of life and you find life. Again, it doesn't make sense. They contradict each other. If you want to flourish and thrive in your life, then you must be willing to let go of your life. And when I think about this, my heart initially says, no thanks. And if you're honest, you'd probably say the same thing. First thing I want to look at today is this, losing my life. Losing my life. Verse 25, He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If we're holding on to our life our way, then what we're doing is losing. doesn't make sense. How can I win if I lose? I'll explain. Stay with me. Matthew 10, 39, the Bible says, He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself? What's it matter if you gain everything but lose yourself, lose your soul, and be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. When he shall come in his own glory and his Father's and of the holy angels, who cares if you gain everything? Because one day you're all going to stand before Jesus Christ. That's the reality. Yeah. And we can take all day explain these passages, but here's the premise. Your life does not belong to you. Your life does not belong to you. My life does not belong to me. 1 Corinthians 6, I believe it says that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. And the beginning of a flourishing life is when you begin to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior and your Master. And just for a few minutes, I want to talk about this idea of Lordship. You see, most of us feel comfortable with Jesus as our Savior. We feel comfortable with calling Him our Lord. But when we come to the act of submitting to Him as Lord, it terrifies us. Because submitting to Him as Lord is basically saying, you're in charge. It's not about me. If we were to go back in your life and put it up here on the screens, 
and look at your life over the past few months, what would it reveal to us? We've had some people secretly video camera some of you guys, so let's go ahead and pop it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> some of your heart was like, oh, what? That would be funny. That's, Michael, that's a great idea. Write that down. <laughs> See your own idea day. But if, if we were to do that, we haven't. Promise, we haven't. But if we were to video your life over the past few months, what would it tell about yourself? Would it say that Jesus is my Lord or he's just an add-on? And what we might discover with many of us, and maybe even myself, is that you, I think it's ringing just a little bit, you are your Lord and Jesus is really your lucky rabbit. (laughs) Too many people are more interested in exploiting Jesus for what he can do for you instead of allowing him to be your master and submitting fully to his will, his desires for your life. This thought of, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you own me. It terrifies us, if we're honest. Because it terrifies me. It terrifies me realizing that someone else is in charge of my life. Someone else is in control of my life. I like to be in control, ask my wife, but I struggle letting go of control. And some of you are with me on that. Some of you are very have a hard time letting go of control because you have to be in control because you can do it better than anyone else. Maybe you can, but who cares? All of us need to learn what it means to be a team player <laughs> because we're all different parts of the body. Maybe the fingers, the hand, the, the arm. We're all different branches and we're all important. No one is more important than the other. No one is more important than the other. And this idea of, Jesus, you're my Lord, Jesus, you own me, it it scares us because here's why, and I think I have this in your notes, it's the threat of what he might ask us to do. Anybody ever thought of that? Man, I'm afraid of what Jesus might ask me to do if I actually surrender my life to him. What if he asked me to be a preacher? What if he asked me to stand in front of people and talk? I can't do that. I didn't think I could either. And I still can't do a very good job at it. But the threat of what he might ask us to do terrifies the threat of what he might require of us terrifies us. Also, the threat of losing myself is a terrifying feeling. What if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? What if he requires me to do something I don't want to do? What if I lose myself? I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose my position. I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to have a life. You see, we all have a thought in our minds of who we're going to become if I truly give control of my life to Jesus Christ. If I radically let go and if I radically abandon myself and give my life to Him, we have a thought in our mind of what we're going to become, of who we're going to become, but I'm here to tell you, you're wrong. The thought of what we might become that terrifies us and scares us and keeps us away from being a fully committed disciple scares us and terrifies us because we have a misconceived notion of what giving our life to Jesus Christ actually looks like. Because we are sucked into the world and what the world says. We are sucked into what the world values instead of what Jesus values and offers. And I can't give my life to Christ because what if He does call me away? What if He does? 
So many people have surrendered their life to Christ fully, and not just partially. Even sometimes in ministry, people partially surrender. I've been there where I've partially surrendered. I'll, I'll let go of this, God, but I'm not letting go of this because this is mine. This is my territory. This is my ministry. No, it's not. You see, we feel like we're going to lose way more than we'll ever gain by radically giving up control of our lives to allowing Jesus to be our Lord, but you're wrong. You don't lose more, you actually gain more. And most people will never understand that. Look, there are countless Christians who have a desire to love Christ and live for Him, but they're unwilling to give up full control of every area of their life to Jesus. Why? Because they're prideful. I'm prideful. You're prideful. I don't like this message. I don't like it either. Because it's hit me upside the head the past few days. But let me clue you in on something. You were never created to be in control of everything. And the people, the Christians that live their lives trying to control every situation, every person, trying to make them into something that they aren't, are actually missing out on what true abundance looks like. They're missing out on what freedom in Christ looks like. And I, and I think the Lord even helped me even this week with that because sometimes in my preconceived notions of ministry and, and what it means to, to be a Christian and growing up in the independent Baptist circle, I have some preconceived notions of what Christians look like. My preconceived notions are wrong because I was putting God into a box and you have to fit this standard. And if you don't fit this standard, then you're wrong. You're unbiblical. And going to meetings like this helped me because I realized, you know what, there's other people that genuinely do have a heart for God. They do some things different than me and some things that I'll probably never do in ministry here, and that's fine. But they genuinely do have a heart for God. And here's the thing. When we get to heaven, it's not going to just be our church. (laughs) I know there's like 88, 88 other churches in Decatur. Some of those people might be in heaven too. Some might not. And I'm not saying that to be mean, but if you haven't given full control of your life to Jesus Christ, if you haven't surrendered your life to Him, if you haven't accepted Him as your Savior, then you're not going to heaven no matter how much you've been in church. But this life is not about you. This church is not about you. Let me, let me clue you in on something. Look, I, I want to be all in, and I want you to be all in, but if you truly want to thrive and learn what authentic biblical Christianity looks like, then you have to learn to say no to a self-centered life. You know, people often have a hard time figuring me out. It's kind of funny sometimes, actually. (laughs) Let me help you understand me. I have very strong, unwavering convictions and standards for myself. But I don't expect anyone else to be me. I want you to be the best you that you can be. So my standards and my convictions might come across as, man, that's just too strong. I can never achieve that. I don't expect you to. But I expect you to do what God wants you to do, what His Word teaches you to do. I have convictions based on what I believe God has spoken to me through His Word or just personal study. Some things are unwavering. Some things, they might waver a little bit. I might change. But here's, again, another help. If you have a strong conviction... Don't force it on someone else. You know, 
I have to bring a soapbox today. I can give my soapbox. But I'm very fed up with cultural Christianity. I'm fed up with unbiblical Christianity. I'm fed up with people shoving their standards and convictions down your throat and trying to make you who they want you to be. But I'm also tired and fed up of Christians living for themselves. Because that's what happens sometimes. I don't want to go back to that church because that pastor just forces his convictions on me. That church forces their convictions on me. Well, what are you doing? Are you living for yourself or are you willing to submit to someone else? Because I've even learned in my own life, when people have done that, if I have the right attitude, I can still learn from God and hear from God and grow. But when I don't, (laughs) I'm done. And that's wrong. And that's why many people have left the church because of something that happened to them. And I don't like that, so I am done. You know, I'm trying to help our church be different and understand things differently. Again, just biblical Christianity. <laughs> I was talking to some guys this week, and we were talking about some things and what we've done, what we've introduced and implemented in our church. And, and I say it kind of facetiously because, as many of you know, one of my overriding spiritual gifts is sarcasm. That's just how it is. <laughs> And I know that's why people can't have a hard time taking me sometimes. Is he serious? Is he not serious? Ask my wife. She can help you. But, but the thing is, I was kind of being facetious with some things. I said, you know, what, what we're trying to do, and I know it's a foreign concept, but we're just trying to get back to the Bible. <laughs> and, and they're kind of laughing because, again, that's kind of what they're doing in their churches. But so many churches have, have like, okay, we have to have all these other things that we add on. No, no, no. God's Word. That's the premise of everything. And that's the premise of everything that we are going to do at Eagle Drive Baptist Church in the future. Everything we're going to do is get those preconceived notions out of our mind, out of our thoughts, and get back to what biblical, authentic Christianity looks like. That's it. Being a fully committed disciple is not about adding Jesus to your life that you're already living. It's about abandoning the life that you are living for the life that He gives you. Jesus never told you to keep your life and have Him too. A choice must be made of who is on the throne, not thorn, throne of your heart. The world says, live your best life now. Jesus says you must be willing to lose the best life now. Losing my life, why? So we can find my life. Second point this morning is finding my life. Verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. How many know or have ever heard of a man named the Apostle Paul? Anybody? Most of us have. Sarcasm, I know, in church. But his story is an amazing story of transformation. Before he became Paul, before he became a Christian, who was he? Anybody? What was his name? Saul, yeah. Good job. Saul... He had a genuine love for God. I want you to understand that. So much that he killed anyone that opposed that love. But then one day he found Jesus on the road to Damascus. He didn't lose his identity when he became a Christian, a follower of Christ. He found the place, the purpose where God was going to channel all that raw material through Paul. You see, Saul, apart from Jesus, had a lot of passion, a lot of zeal, a lot of knowledge. 
but he did not have a place to go with it all, so he turned into an oppressor. But when he found Jesus, he still had all the knowledge, didn't he? He still had all the passion, all the personality, but now he had a purpose behind it. You see, because he lost his life, he actually found his life. Because he lost his identity in the world, he actually found his identity in Christ. How many would say, raise your hand on this question, how many would say, Pastor, it terrifies me a little to lose my life? I think some of you are so terrified, you're not even going to raise your hand. (laughs) But if we're honest, I think many of us would say, it terrifies me to lose my life because I wouldn't be in control. But you were never meant to be in control. But I have to be in control. No, you don't. Because one day, you're going to stand before the one that is in control. And the Bible says, every what? Every knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess. That Jesus Christ is an add-on. No, Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, here's... Here's the mirage. Here's what is fake. The fear of losing our life. It's fake fear. We have fake news today. Well, we also have fake fear. The fear of losing it all is what's truly keeping many of us from thriving and flourishing in our Christian lives. God never told us to die for Him, but He has told us to live for Him. And I want you to get this. I think I have it in your notes. I may not, but it's okay. Losing my life is more than the death of a lie. It's the death of a fake self that culture is trying to create for you. You see, the death of self leads to the redemption of a thriving you. I want you to say this with me. I don't belong to me. Let's say that. Ready? I don't belong to me. Let's say it again because some of you had a hard time spitting those words out. I don't belong to me. Did you get that? And I know we're kind of joking, we had a hard time, but honestly, some of us probably did. Because we do belong to me. This life is about me. No, it's not. And I'm not saying you can't have anything. I'm not saying you can't have any, any, any pleasures in this life. I'm not saying you can't have any money and, and, and things like that. I, I love to travel. Look, look we, we should have, uh, be able to find happiness and joy in this life and be able to find things that, 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 uh, that produce happiness and all, all those things. And it's not about happiness. It's more about joy. And I've talked about those things. But... You know, if you like taking vacations, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying if you lose your life, you can never take a vacation at all in the world. I'm not saying if you lose your life, you can never have any money. You have to live in poverty. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you can never have a car and you have to to walk everywhere. But you have to be willing to abandon everything that you perceive as valuable for what's most valuable. And that idea, and really we should, I don't know if it's in your notes, but you should write that down. I don't belong to me. Write it down in your Bible. Write it down in your heads. I don't know, whatever. Write it down in your wife's head so that you see it every day. And then you write it on your husband's head so then you see it every day. I don't belong to me. Don't do it right now, please. I don't belong to me. But here's what it boils down to this morning. Verse number 26. You with Christ is the real you. That's the you that God created you to be. Here's where we mess up. We live this life with only this life in view. But I want you to get this. There is more than this life. And the reality is this. You'll spend more time on the other side than you will on this side. 
You'll spend more time in eternity, heaven or hell, than you will down here. And if we got that through our heads, our thick skulls, myself included, I think we would live a different lifestyle. You see, so many people are not living with eternity in view. They're living with earth in view. Well, you should plan, you should save, you should do what you can. Be the best stewards of the life that God has given you. Enjoy the life. That, that's fine. Have fun. There's certain things I like to do. Again, I, I like to go out there. There's nothing wrong with doing things that we enjoy. There's nothing wrong at all. But in every area of our life, are we using our life to glorify God? To promote Him? You see, I want to be all in. I want to be fully committed. But Jesus says, I must hate my life. What's He saying? We must say no to a self-centered life. We must deny ourselves. Culture says it's all about you. But where did Jesus go a few days after this? To the cross. The cross was not just a decoration as it is in some of our homes. The cross was a place to die. Culture says it's all about you, but the cross says it's all about Him. Culture says it's my life. I can live how I want, do what I want, be who I want, but the cross and Christ says, it's my life. You're to live for me. If you want the best version of you, then follow my plans and not yours. Again, I, I know I'm sarcastic in, in nature and some things, but how many in here has the power to raise yourself from death? Anybody? Because if you do, let's talk. Then why do we follow a philosophy that's fixed on something with no power to even raise the dead? A fully committed disciple is not about adding Jesus to your life. Jesus is not an add-on. He's the sum total of who you are. So often we want to add Jesus to the life we're already living, but a committed disciple is about abandoning the life you're living for the life that he gives you. So here's what must happen. Here's what must take place. Here's the application, and we're done this morning. We must move beyond the surface. We must move beyond the surface. Go back to verse number 24. I skipped this on purpose. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. If you've ever planted something, you don't plant it on top of the ground. That's not planting, is it? If you just put it on top of the ground, it's not going to produce anything, is it? No. I'm not a farmer, and I've never really done much of that. I've done some of that, but I know that in order to have anything grow, you have to plant it, you have to water it, you have to put it in the ground. In a sense, it has to die so it can abound. You know, a, a, a small picture of it today, and I know it's, it's, it's wrong, but it's all I had. Justin gave me some uh, Taco Bell sunflower seeds. I've never, I haven't tasted them yet. So Amanda, here's Taco Bell. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so let, let's picture this morning that, again, it's, it's not, but let's picture this, this is a seed that you are supposed to plant and then something rises up. So since it's a Taco Bell sunflower seed, we plant this, Taco Bell's going to rise up. <laughs> it's awesome. But to plant this, I don't just do that. Do I? That's not planting. That's falling to the ground. And what happens too often is that's how we live our lives on the surface. Never being planted, never digging in, finding out who God is, never dying so that we can have new life. 
You see, your life lived your way is useless, like a seed kept on the ground. It has no value. Has it, does it have potential? Yes. But it's useless when it doesn't do what it was designed to do. The seed has to be placed in the ground and buried. It has to die. And it sounds painful because it is. Losing everything you hang on to for value is a painful thing. But here's the results of that death. You've been planted, and then you can be multiplied, and then you can flourish. Once you dig deep, you learn to reach out. And the fear that is keeping you from who Jesus might want you to be is going to force you to be a seed that's unplanted, unflourishing, unmultiplied. And here's what's going to happen. When you live your life with this world in view, when you love the world and the things of the world more than the things of God, you are going to lose. You're going down a road that's, at the end, total loss. All because we have a picture of a life that's dedicated to Jesus. It's oppressive. It's restricting. I can't be who I want to be. You're never supposed to be who you want to be. But when we give up control, and again, it's countercultural, it's completely opposite philosophy. Jesus never said we can keep our life and have his too. He said we must lose our life, and losing our life is about death to self. So many Christians are unwilling to lose their life. And you'll never understand what it means to flourish and thrive in your Christian life. You know what I want from you all this morning and going forward? I want you to die. Okay, I probably shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> now some of you guys are going to go to social media. What did you learn today in church? Pastor said he wants us to die. Never go back to that church. Let me rephrase that. I want you to die to self. Yeah. I want myself to die to self. To be the person that God wants me to be. What's keeping you from being fully committed? What's keeping Christians from thriving? A fear of losing it all and what it might look like. But if you're not willing to lose it all according to the world's standards, then you're never going to gain it all according to God's standards. But I have a lot. Okay, that's fine. But you're still missing out on what you could have. Again, it's the attitude that I've mentioned many times that Carrie talked about on Wednesday night. Wherever, whenever, whatever. Lord, I'm willing to go wherever you have me to go. Whenever you have me to go there. And I'm willing to do whatever you have me to do. You know, one thing, not that I took from this, but one thing, I'll just open up a little bit more. One thing I have a strong desire and passion to do as a pastor is I want our church to be a training center. And what I mean by that is I want to be able to train people to send them out. And I want some of you guys to grow so much that you're saying, Pastor, I can't stay here. God has called me to go, to spread out, to be elastic, talked about this last week, to, to, to stretch myself. And I would love, I would love, I would love, I would love, and this is going to be probably several years down the road. There's some people I have in mind for this. And it's not like I'm trying to kick people out. <laughs> we'll have a list next week of all those people that I'm looking to. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, good, my name's not on the list. <laughs> but I would love to be able to send people out to start a church, 
to take a church that's dying and revitalize a church? Because I want us to spread our wings. You're like, oh, I can never leave. I can never leave Texas. Well, you can never leave if you have an attitude that's unwilling to leave. I know I'm not from Texas. I love Texas now. I know I'm a transplant. I'm a quarter Texan, as I've said before, since Nate was bo- or Noah was born here. But I never wanted to leave Indiana. That was where I was from. And those three words have transformed my life, that I need to be willing to do whatever God calls me to do, whenever he calls me to do it, and wherever that might be. And that attitude, that philosophy, led me to Colorado in the middle of nowhere. I was literally, like, I felt like Green Acres. Anybody ever watch that show? <laughs> I mean, I'm a city boy through and through, and I'm like, what in the world am I doing here? Again, I love to golf, and there was one time I was out on visitation, and I was going golfing later. I'm in my golf gear, kind of like Brendan is today. I thought I looked pretty good, and like all these farmers like, well, who are you? I'm like, well, who are you? <laughs> here, here's Jesus. <laughs> Come to church. But I felt out of place. But I learned to love it. Because that's exactly where God wanted me to be for that time of my life. And I think that attitude also moved me to Texas. And some of you are like, well, you should have moved to Texas in the first place. Yes, now I'm here. But we have to have an attitude of, God, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do whenever you want me to do it and wherever you want me to be. And if we had that attitude, man, what, what, what could this church truly do? If some of you had that attitude, that, Pastor, I'm here to learn, to grow. I want to, be, I want to connect, I want to grow, I want to serve, I want to share. And it might be different than what we think. Again, I have some people in mind. Maybe, maybe you are those people. Maybe you're not those people. But I would love to be able to send people out. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing for our church to be planning other churches? helping other churches revitalize and be restored. There's a lot of churches that need to be revitalized. You see, the world says love life, you gain life. But Jesus says love life, you lose life. The world says let go of life, you lose it all. But Jesus says let go of life and you find it. Aren't you tired of living for yourself? No, because I have a lot. Well, then you'll never understand who you're created to be. Aren't you tired of trying to figure out who you are? We're going to talk so much more about our identity in the weeks to come and even on Wednesday nights. You see, it's time that we tie our identity and center it fully on Jesus Christ. Here's the message in four words. Lose life, gain life. Lose life, gain life. Are you willing to lose in order to gain?